0: John chapter 4, study through the gospel of John on the beach, Anna Maria Island, 2021, West Church. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, last week we were talking about the woman at the well and how she wasn't expecting it but had an encounter with God. And that encounter changed her life, as well as the lives of all those in her village that she was um, that she lived in. And there was a little bit of a, um, a passage that we kind of skipped over. That was in verse chapter four, verse thirty-four to thirty-eight. And um, that part that we skipped over is is kind of the heart of what we were talking about. And that was um, going out into the world, preaching the go- the good news. And that's what happened when this lady met with Jesus. And so um, Jesus said, he was talking to his disciples and he says, basically they were asking him about um, lunch, really. Like, what did you have to eat? And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then he said something pretty, um, uh, pretty remarkable in verse 35. He said, do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? behold I say to you to lift up your eyes and look at the fields they're already white for harvest and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together for in this the saying is true one sows and another reaps and I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored and others have entered into your labors others have labored and you have entered into their labors what did he what was he talking about he was talking about um doing the work of god he was talking about doing the work of god and the work of god in this particular story was to share about living water that is available to all people if you drink of this water you will thirst again but if you drink of the water that i give unto you you will never thirst of, again but you'll have within you a spring of water gr- gushing out unto eternal life wow that's what the lady said, basically. She's like, I want to I have that water instead of this water. I mean, we like the LaCroix right here. Sparkling water berry. But, you know, we want living water more. You can turn it down just a little. <laughs> <laughs> too loud, I don't... <laughs> and so he was using that at that time when she was coming to get water out of the well, in order to talk to her about living water, which is available to all people, living water that will make you feel uh, connected to God and refreshed. What does water do? It gives you life abundantly, abundant life. And so that's what he's talking with her about. Now he talks to his disciples and says, listen, We've all got a job to do because this water is, there's more living water than there is water in the ocean. Everybody look at the sunset right now. Don't drink the ocean water, though. It's not living water. <laughs> you can swim in it, though. But there's more living water than there is water in the ocean because it's based in the the infinite goodness of God. If God's goodness is infinite, that living water he provides is also If he's all-powerful and infinite, that living water is more than the water in the oceans. The dispensers of the living water, Jesus was talking to this woman about it, but now he's talking to his disciples, which we are part of for Christians. Guess what? We have the opportunity and the obligation to be part of God's work in dispensing the oceans full of living water. To anyone who is thirsty. And the, the reality is in this world today, there are a lot of people that are thirsty. They're parched. And they don't even know exactly why, but there's something missing that we have the ability to provide. And that's why last week we were talking about how do we more effectively share about Jesus and living water and the solution for what people are looking for. And then he, so he talks to his disciples. He says, I I am doing the work of God, and that's what sustains me. And speaking of the work of God, didn't I tell you verse 35 says that there are still four months and then the harvest? In a culture in a society that was that lived or died based on the crops and the rain and the harvest, the sowing of the seeds and the harvesting, they they understood this very well that there's a season for planting. There's a season for cultivating and watering. There's a season after the crops have grown, a season of harvesting. And that's what Jesus is referring to. He's saying in the physical world with food that you eat, there is a season where you're planting, but there's also a season of harvest. And then he makes the connection between people who need to um, come to the Lord, who need to drink the living water, who need to get saved, and that harvest, and he says, look at the fields. They're already white for harvest. It would be amazing to just plant the um, the corn or the wheat or whatever. You plant it, and then you turn around, and then you look back, and it's already full grown, ready for harvest. The wheat, white for harvest. And so he's saying, basically, that there's a job to be done now. What do you do when the, the fruit... When the fields are ready to be harvested, what what do the harvesters do? They go out and reap reap the harvest. They don't just sit and look at it and say, Yay, the harvest, because you can't bake any bread unless you have the wheat. I don't know how to bake bread. I know you've got to put wheat in it, right? Gluten-free? What? I'm um, Unbiblical. I'm gonna call unbiblical on that one. (laughs) You can't just have some bread when you're looking at the fields, and so because the there it is, but it has to be there has to be work put in in order for the harvest to come in that um, people can be satisfied and partake of the food. And Jesus refers that not to the food, the wheat, but he refers it to people that people aren't going to experience the goodness of God unless we are out there reaping the harvest. And the good news is that there's seasons of harvest. That's what he's talking about. Not only that, but verse 36, he who reaps receives wages and gathers the fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. What is he talking about here? One sows and another reaps. What he's saying is this. There's a lot of work that's been done in people's lives, people that you know, your loved ones, that you care about, that you want to have abundant life and living water and eternal life. And you've been praying for them, others have been talking to them, and sometimes it's like hitting a brick wall. But eventually, God willing, they are ready through years of cultivation sometimes, planting and watering, for the harvest of eternal life to be reaped in their particular lives. And you may not necessarily be the person to do that. In fact, you may not even ever even know about it, talking to someone. You're talking to a person and you tell them what Jesus has done. And you may never even know until you get to heaven the seed that you've sown or the cultivation that you've done after someone else sowed the seed, but someone else reaps the harvest. And both of the people that share the the gospel about Jesus and the ones who actually bring someone to Christ in a confession of faith they will be the bible says they'll be rewarded here's the thing that they may rejoice together that they're going to receive wages and the bible says be rewarded the amazing thing is we get to be rewarded For something that is a privilege to do and also that is our duty to do. Isn't that the case? Like, God is, if we're Christians, our lives belong to God. If that's true, then He gets to tell us what to do, not we get to tell Him what to do, right? (laughs) Isn't that true about God? He calls the shots. And that's why Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. And that's why it says, you know, that we must submit ourselves unto God. So if he gets to tell us what to do, he could say, go into the world and preach the gospel to everyone. He did say that. And then we, we as his servants, as part of his family even, will say, yes, that is your mission, that's my mission, let's do it. And we do it because it's our duty. But the amazing thing is that we get rewarded for doing not only what is in our opportunity to do and our duty to do, but we get rewarded for doing it. And uh, not only for seeing people get saved, but just for simply sowing the seed. Or, you know, talking to someone and cultivating that seed. 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 3. Let me just cross-reference this. Verse 5. Paul the Apostle, who's really good at planting churches and talking to people about the Lord. There was another guy named Apollos. He's not as well-known But he says, who is a Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed. He's talking to this church, these people that have believed. So Jesus is saying the fields are white for harvest. Fast forward to Paul and Apollos and all these guys who were doing the work and harvesting. They're talking about this very thing. Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed. As the Lord gave to each one. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Listen to this in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 3. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And he talks about how they're God's fellow workers. What is he saying? Same thing that Jesus is saying. I'm planting these seeds. What is a seed? It's saying, telling people about the Lord. What he's done. And then someone would say, I don't know about that, or let me think about that, whatever. Or I I hate you, get out of my face. Whatever they may say, fine. Planting the seeds. Someone's watering. That means they already know, you know, most Americans, I would say, already know the general idea about the gospel. But sometimes people talk to them more in depth, and they're watering that seed that was planted. And then there's harvesters that say, do you want to, you know, decide to follow Christ? And they do. And all of them are rewarded based on the labor they did. Do you realize that there'll be a day in heaven when we stand before the Lord, not to see if we're saved or not, because by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. If you've put your faith in Christ, you've got a home in heaven. Not because of works that you've done. Any sowing or reaping or watering, nothing. But as you're going into heaven, there is a reward where you get to, where God gets to discover, and you get to discover what have you done with the talents and the gifts that I've given you, to to further the kingdom, and then some of us will be rewarded more or less than others based on what we've done for the Lord. That's not legalism or like a works thing. That's a biblical thing. And remember, we're not we're not um, we're not able to do these things because. We in and of ourselves have some special power or abilities, but it's God that works through us. In us, we are fellow workers with God. The only question is, are we are we submitting ourselves to and, you know, going out into the harvest field in one way or another? You know, we've we've been missionaries for a lot of our marriage. Me and Lynn, we've been married for 22 years. Double checking, <laughs> double checking. Okay, I got it. 22 years. And the majority of those, and then Liana and Judah and our daughter Julia, who's not here with us, we uh, span on the mission field in Africa and New Zealand and even church planning in Washington no- north of Seattle. That's kind of a mission field too, believe me. And, um, you know, when you go on a mission field, it's not easy to do. You have to have fundraising. You have to you have connections with you know ministries and stuff and people who are doing other works around you. You don't just go out like Lone Ranger style, but you get people supporting you and stuff. And the one thing that, that I, I had the hardest, thing, hardest time with in the beginning of missionary work was, was asking people to support the mission that we were doing. So we went to Africa first in Uganda, in East Africa. We were there for 10 years. And to say, this is what we're doing, but you know we were young too, and young and poor, as you are when you first get married. And um, so we are, we're willing to go and do this work of planting a church and helping with street kids and doing all these things we're going to do, but we don't have the money, the resources, the connections, etc. to do these things. So what we would do is we would go to different churches and Christians and say to them, we're going to do this, and would you donate or contribute toward us doing this work? Would you be a part of this um, through giving or through praying or whatever it was? And what I learned early on that helped me get over my problem with you know, having to ask for money because it's awkward, but I realized this, this principle, that everybody who is involved in the ministry of going to that mission field or preaching the gospel here or helping the poor there, everyone who is involved, whether it's financially or physically or prayerfully, that each person will be rewarded by God for what they've contributed or what they've done. And maybe not here on on earth, you know, that's a popular message too. Just People are trying to get the money so they're promising all these material wealths to people. Not just one material wealth, but multiple material wealths. And you may not even be here. You know, you may give all your money to the poor or the missionaries and you, you yourself would become poor. But rich in faith, the Bible says. But eventually, ultimately, you know, whatever you sow, you will reap from the Lord. The Bible says it. And each person has the work they're doing in the work of the Lord. In one way or another, each will be rewarded in their own way by God. So it doesn't so you know what the cool thing about that was for me? A person who gave money to help us buy a plane ticket to get to Africa will be rewarded just the same as we will be having gone to Africa and doing that because people would say, "Oh, it's a great step of faith. Oh, you know, you're giving up so much, whatever." But the reward will be the same those who helped us get there because without them we couldn't have got there. So there's the mutual connection of what's happening. And then uh, the Samaritans believe, verse 43. Now, after two days, he departed from Samaria and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. Back in John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. And so these are the people. They would come into Jerusalem from all over Israel to the feast. And then they saw Jesus turn over the money changers' tables and clear the temple. That's what he did when he first got there. But he was also doing miracles like he often did. And so the people from Galilee, which was up north, his home area, were believing in him Because they saw the things that he did. That's what it's talking about in verse 43. But he said a prophet has no honor in his own country. What does that mean? Uh, I can't remember who I was talking about this with the other day, but you know Jesus had other brothers and sisters. Um, No offense to you if you're Catholic here tonight, but um, he had other... They were half brothers and sisters. Let's put it that way. Same mom, different dad. (laughs) And... uh, they the reality was they didn't believe um they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah at first. You know why? Cuz it was his hometown people. They saw him grow up. You know, I don't think he was a naughty boy. In fact, he never sinned, so but you know, kids are kids. Jesus was a kid at one point. Even though he was very mature for his age, remember in the temple when he was teaching the <laughs> religious leaders? But, you know, Jude and some of the others, his brothers and sisters, they're like, you know, this is, we can't believe in him because this is the guy we grew up with. You know what I mean? And uh, that's hard when, I, I mean, my, here's my brother right here. He grew up with me. Believe me, I was never Pastor Brian back in the day. <laughs> I know, see? <laughs> He's like, I know, <laughs> and it goes both ways, though. <laughs> Feelings mutual. Hey, okay, okay. this is a, you know, this is a real thing, though, because, you know, when we would, when we would go to like uh, different, even a, especially a different country, you know, they don't know Rio Doce, New Mexico, where we grew up. They don't know anything about. They know who they see right then and there. And that's the way it was with Jesus in Jerusalem. Man, this guy speaks with authority. This guy has power. This guy is the Messiah. He goes back home. This guy is the kid we grew up with that thought he was better than all of us. <laughs> that's probably what they were saying. So he has honor everywhere except for the people that knew him the best, which is it's kind of encouraging actually that Jesus experienced that because he was perfect. It just goes to show you that there's, there's certain environments that you have more effectiveness, I think, in ministry and people hearing you than others for all of us. And I'm sure you guys have experienced that in your own way. And uh, verse 46, Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water into wine. That was the first miracle he did. And there was a certain nobleman uh, whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea and Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. This is obviously a comment based on the general overall feeling of the community. The verse 49, the nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. I love verse 49 because he didn't have time to debate theology. Because his emotions were so involved in this thing. Like he didn't even disagree with Jesus. He just said, please heal my child because he knew he could do it. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Some people say, unless I see, I won't believe or I must see to believe. But with Jesus, it's the other way around. When you believe, then you will see. When did the man believe that Jesus had healed his son? Before he saw the healing, right? He believed him right then and there. And then verse 51, he, he, as he was now going down to his servant, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Verse 52, he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. What time time did he get better? 7 o'clock. And he knew that was the exact time that Jesus said, Your son lives. And when Jesus speaks the word, it's done. He believed, and then he saw. He saw the work of God and the miracle that happened. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, a night like this, and we pray that you would help us be um, good stewards of the gifts that you've given to us and the calling that you've put on each one of our lives we just thank you so much for your, uh, your love and your just letting us be a part of a wonderful and a unique Bible study opportunity and worship opportunity on this beach. In Jesus' name, amen.